A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Take me to the king. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning and welcome to our weekly parent call for the Sunrise Project. I am happy you are here this morning and I hope you find a moment of solace and peace as we share and learn from one another in a safe space that's filled with love, compassion, and a mutual desire to heal our families and ourselves. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I am delighted this morning to welcome back Dr. Julie Lopez for this morning's session. She will be speaking on the topic of family matters. And we chose this topic because we completed a survey recently and several of our Sunrise community callers requested information and suggested a topic around family and healing families and family life, whether it's our marriages, um, working with siblings of our loved ones that may have a mental wellness challenge or an addiction issue. And this morning, Dr. Julie will address these issues and will share some of her knowledge. Dr. Julie is the founder of Viva Partnership, which is the leader in DC's brain and body-based therapeutic sciences. She is a master of human change and she helps empower families to optimize their own performance as a conduit for inspiring and improving their lives. She has a book called Live Empowered, uh, which illuminates the invisible aspects of human performance. 
and helps rewire our brain's implicit memory. And she has a free ebook out right now called Everything You Need to Know About Trauma. And that's available at vivapartnership.com. Julie is a trauma and addictions expert. And most importantly, she's a dear friend and a fellow swim mom. We see each other at swimming. <laughs> we did prior to COVID. Um, yeah. Delightful human and wonderful friend. So I'm delighted to introduce you and welcome um, Dr. Julie Lopez. And I will turn it over to you. And thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you so much, Kelly, and thanks for that lovely introduction. Um, it is such a loss to not have those swim meets going on. We're a community right now that's really reeling in losses, and I would say trauma. It's certainly a tough time to be a mental health practitioner, and it's a tough time just to be just to be putting one step one foot in front of the other. And so I have admired so much, Kelly, what you've done not just in putting this powerful community together, but also, you know, as a mom and as a wife and finding a way even in dark moments to be a beacon of joy to the community. So I really appreciate you in this moment and I know others on the call do as well. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about family matters and I'm gonna be talking from a systems perspective Something Kelly didn't share is that my my past life, I actually have a degree in systems engineering and worked in that field for a number of years before switching over into psychology. And we are a complex society, and we are one big system globally, communally, and historically. And this is a, well, it's a tough time for community. It's a tough time because we're in this double pandemic. We have a community and a culture that's been cut off, right? And I'm going to talk about this, how it relates to our families. But I want to start with a big um, picture view. So we, you know, we don't connect in the ways that we used to. Um, if you've experienced a funeral or a wedding or a um, birthday or a graduation, it has not been the same as the way that we're used to. We're used to connecting. We're used to hugging. We're used to coming together. And we have rituals for grief. We have rituals for joy. And all those things are cut off right now. We also are a, a, a culture and a community that's been holding pain and suffering and an unfair and an unjust penal system um, that has significantly hurt people with brown and black skin in our, in our country. Our country was actually built on genocide and pain for indigenous people and on slavery. And so all of that is getting a special, special view um, and I, I'm not going to, hopefully not going to re-traumatize people on the call by going through some of our recent events that were just overwhelming and horrible. And, and this is relevant. This is relevant. Um, first, I'm definitely going to weave in a bit of what my specialty is, which is looking at this unconscious part of our human system. It definitely speaks to multi-generational trauma, which I'll talk about a little bit, um, intergenerational trauma, and these invisible 
things that can pass between family members, these invisible things that can pass from generation to generation, and then that can show up in one or many members of the family. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I do believe in empowerment on all levels, and empowerment begins with education. Empowerment begins with understanding and finding language to put words to what you're seeing. And so although I think you would all fall back to sleep if I went too heavily into clinical theory, I'm going to give you some references so that you can do some of your own homework if you're really interested or want to know more. There are lots of different family theorists and family theories that are out there. My training is mostly in Bowen Bowen family systems theory. Murray Bowen was a a huge um, practitioner in working with families. And there are some principles that you're going to hear, and I want you to know they're coming out of that school of thought in terms of how we look at family. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics, because that's who we are. So I'm going to talk about some normal stuff, right? Um, And it is normal as a human being to feel anxiety. We get anxious when we are fearful about something and our system gets a message that things are not well and that we're in danger. And when we get the message, whether we actually think it logically or not, if we're just vibing it or we're picking up that energy or they even have a sense that things are not gonna go well, our amazing human system is built to keep us safe and to adapt. And so what happens? Our system starts to scan, starts to worry, starts to look for danger. And what we look for, we tend to find, right? Uh, That person looked a funny way. Are they going to treat my child okay? Like, do I need to put on my mama bear costume and make sure everything's all right? So it's scanning and then seeing And then actually experiencing, I'm going to use this example of our children, but it could be our spouse, it could be a sibling, as being in danger as well, or having something wrong with them. Like, I'm fearful there's something wrong with them, now I'm scanning for something wrong with them, now I see something that's wrong with them, because that's what I was scanning for, and now I'm treating them like there's something wrong with them. So systems are complicated. And what happens is, so we all have anxiety. Um, By the way, in that example, I just pulled that up as an example. I'm not saying that that is necessarily what's happening for anyone on the call. I'm sharing that this is normal, that I I could use an example that's not even related to people where, you know, I'm looking through my report card and I'm worried that I didn't do well. And so I'm looking, 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 and I might have six A's on the report card and one B plus. And what I see, because I was worried that I wasn't doing well, is only the B plus. And I think, what could I have done better? And does this teacher not like me? And what did I do wrong? And, oh, wait, maybe something's wrong with me. And now my conclusion to the scanning is there's something wrong with me. And I need to work harder and I need to do better because I didn't get all the A's. 
And just to show the same example, if I was scanning for A's, if I was like, I know I'm doing great and, and it's not fear-based, then I might just see the A's there and there's much more of them and not so focused on the B+. It's just a way that our bodies move in and out of perception. Well, take it over, move it on over to a family system. We are a system and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's two spouses or not. It can be a one spouse family, one one parent family. It doesn't matter how many children. It can be one child. It can be five children. No matter what the unit is, we operate in a collective. And there are some principles that are going to be at play no matter what. And when we're talking about, I know the inspiration behind the Sunrise Project is how can we as parents come together, support one another, get through difficult situations and that are impacting our family. And, and a lot of it is with our children that are struggling, that are struggling with addiction, that are struggling with self-esteem, that are struggling with suicidality, struggling with mental health. And so this understanding that the family is a unit means that if something's going on with one part of the family, every single other part of the family is experiencing it. Maybe not the same way, but each member of the unit is holding some part of it. And when I talked about anxiety being like a hot potato, so I'm just going to make something up. So dad's got a lot of, this is made up. Dad's got a lot of anxiety about performance for himself and then for his children. And maybe performance because of a historical need to perform in a certain way to be safe or to survive they're scanning in their children. Are they performing okay? Are they checking all these boxes? Are they doing all these things that they need to do to be safe? Good intentions, you know, wanting the best for his children and the children experience it in different ways. One child thinks, oh, consciously or unconsciously, I need to perform, I need to do these things. And if I'm not doing them, I'm a failure. So this rigid kind of dichotomy shows up of like, good or bad, on or off, all or nothing. And by the way, that's the same type of thinking that underlies suicidality, right? I'm either good or bad. It's either on or off. I can either handle this or I can't. And in actuality, when we're looking at trauma, we're trying to, we're trying to stretch people's tolerance for that in-between. Like, I'm struggling and this is hard and... I can soothe myself and I can tolerate this and I can grow my tolerance and I can grow my resources. So dad's got this thing going on. Kids are kind of picking up on it. Well, one of the normal ways to handle like overly controlled or overly anxious feelings is to perform for it. So one child might be performing and saying, okay, the way I'm going to survive this anxiety so it doesn't come down on me, like I said, it's like anxiety hot potato, is I'm going to check all the boxes so it passes me by. Phew, okay, I don't have to hold that. And another child says, the way that I'm going to handle this is I'm out of here. You know, screw that. I'm not doing anything. You know, you want me to do all this stuff, I'm not going to do it. Just by definition, just because you want me to do it, I'm not going to do it, and that's how I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to shut down, and I'm just not going to engage. I'm not going to talk. These are two extreme examples, um, and I could do many, many different types of family scenarios, but the idea is, and that was with performance, it could be grief. 
there's a lot of grief in the system. Um, one child is feeling grief. Maybe their, their friend was hurt or they, you know, had some type of a loss and, and they become sullen. Other people carry different parts of that experience. One member might be comforting. One member might be avoiding. One member might be feeling the sadness. And if we look at it in this system's way, we can really help, especially the child that you might be most focused on, because guess what? Other siblings have a reaction to that. Let's say there is a child that's really struggling with mental health right now, and they're getting a lot of the resources and a lot of the struggle. Well, first of all, usually that person is the person who has been most likely to um, accommodate or absorb stress any stress. I'm not talking huge stress. I'm just talking even day-to-day kind of stresses. And they're then playing out other people's stress and feeling it. And, and then they end up having the symptoms that need the treatment or that, that um, get the most attention. And so what's the antidote for that? Because I know if you're listening, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, well, I don't know what people are relating to, but thinking, oh, I can relate to that, or this is what's happening for me, or something like that. The antidote is for people to start to share the ownership of whatever the, if, if you have a family member that's really struggling, that they might be experiencing. So, you know, if, if a child is saying, I don't want to do this in actions or words, or I'm not going to participate, or I'm not going to share, then if each person can tap into themselves and get in touch with that part of themselves that has that same kind of resistant feeling or that has had that type of experience in, their, in your life where you didn't want to participate or you said, oh, no, hell no to this. I'm not doing that or they can't make me or I'm not going to that by expressing that and letting that all be in the room, then that person, and this is mostly unconscious, right, is not going to feel the pressure to act that out. Right. Um, And that's the idea of this family system. I could talk about all kinds of stuff because there are lots of things that affect a family. Marital conflict will affect a family. If there's dysfunction with one of the, you know, one of the parents, one of the primary caregivers, someone struggling, depression, anxiety, um, mania, whatever it might be. If there's impairment with one of the children um, or if someone's shut down, if someone's just, you know, kind of checked out. And that can happen in pretty culturally okay ways. Like people can check out just by being super in, absorbed with their, um, with their work, very culturally approved of activity, but the family feels it because they're not really engaged with the family. Um, exercise, there are all kinds of compulsive behaviors that people can engage in. Of course, addiction, um, drinking, drugs, and people feel it they're missing a piece of the family. And so what family theory will look at is how can the whole family get involved? Family therapy. How can the whole family get involved at changing the dynamic and taking some of the weight off of maybe the one family member that's really, really feeling um, the emotionality from the entire group. So there's lots to that. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit about this thing that I mentioned, this implicit memory. Um, so what happens when I talk about, I talked about this a little bit back in March, but what happens when our grandparents experience something, our great grandparents experience something? Well, they pass down, and by something, I mean something super tough, something traumatic, um, something that was really overwhelming. Well, we're adaptive. As human beings, we're adaptive. And so um, let's just say uh, my grandmother experienced sexual abuse as a child. And she never even talked about it. We don't even know that story consciously. It never left her lips. But she mothered my mom, right? And in her mothering and in her teaching, she never let her daughter go anywhere on her own. She kept her close under her wing. She communicated, not in words, that the world was, was not a safe place. Or maybe even that men weren't safe right? And that you couldn't trust what they were saying. Again, it might not even be in words. It might be in the way, in, in her posture, in her behavior, in her actions. And what happens in the nervous system of her daughter, my mom, she feels afraid. She feels afraid of different scenarios and different environments and kind of shrinks or shies away from conflict or situations that she's been taught in behavior, because trust me, children model their behavior after their parents, and adaptively, they learn lessons from us, right? And so she learns that the world isn't really a safe place, that you have to be very cautious and very vigilant. And my grandmother's just doing it out of love, and what she learned in her life was a way to be safe in difficult environments. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. So then what happens to me? My mom now is a person who doesn't use her voice, who, who, you know, follows the lead of others, who is cautious in terms of taking risks. And I learn because now I've gotten all this, I told you about anxiety hot potato. Um, maybe for me as the third generation, I don't like that feeling. And so I say, screw that. And I'm a big risk taker because I feel burdened by this fearful posture. And I say, I don't want all this pressure. I don't want to be quiet. Maybe I'm even frustrated that my mom is so quiet and I see things happening where I think, oh my gosh, stick up for yourself. Like, don't let that person do this to you. And so I develop an adaptive coping strategy that comes completely out of this generational lens of learning from a trauma that happened two generations up the train. Um, and this is real and this affects the way that we're acting and behaving. And it certainly affects then we pull it into family system theory and we, that starts to then impact the adaptiveness of our family structure. 
I could speak much more about this, but um, Kelly asked me to make sure that there's time for people to start to ask questions. Um, I'll keep sharing information as we go, but I'm telling you, it's super complex. And the most important thing I would say is that we can change that. People start to hear unconscious and they're like, oh my gosh, well, I really am screwed because what can I do about that? It's data I don't even know is operating or it might be, what can I do about that for myself or what can I do about that for my child? Well, I'm actually here to say, and that's, that's actually what my book is about. Um, first of all, you know, in the book, it explains what it is, how it works, the nerdy parts of it, the science of it, you know, why it happens. It's totally normal. And what we can do about it. We actually have tools. And as we've continued to advance in the field of psychology and neuropsychology, that can change and adapt what those messages are and how they're impacting our lives. And it's all about you know, change. It's all about being able to take control, to be empowered in understanding how we can change that for ourselves and for our children. And um, I know Kelly mentioned the ebook that my center had put out. Um, there are also a lot of free resources. We have something called the Resilient Brain Project, and it certainly speaks to the nerdy part of me because one of the sections is called Master the Subject. So no matter what the subject is related to mental health, if you go to www.resilientbrainproject.com, you can learn about why these things might be happening for you or for your loved one. And there's tons of resources on the science of why it happens. No one's broken. Nothing's wrong with anybody. The whole human experience and condition can be explained through science. And more importantly, because what is the point anyway? Yes, it's great to have all this intellectual knowledge. The point is to live better, healthier, happier, more connective, joyful lives. And under each section of mental health, we also have actions for now. And it connects you to apps. It connects you to very specific step-by-step -step actionable things that you can do to combat trauma anxiety, depression, self-esteem, so many different things that impact our well-being. And, and so I just, you know, for me, it's all about action. So even on this call, I know we're going to talk and we're going to answer questions and I hopefully can help apply some of what I'm sharing to your situation with your family, your situation with your child. I promise you, you can't bring up anything that hasn't been experienced by other people. You are definitely not alone. I promise you that. But it's really nice to have some actionable tools where you can go on and feel like at any old time there might be something for you or for a loved one to feel less alone, to be more empowered around what can be done. So I did want to share those couple of resources. Um, and maybe, Kelly, even as a follow-up, we could um, – put some of those out there just so people have them at their fingertips. They're totally free. And the whole point, and this is a big mission of our center is to destigmatize mental health. I think a part of the problem is people aren't talking about it. And that's just one of the things I so admire in you, Kelly, is helping break down those walls. I'm telling you, it just breaks my heart. And I, I encourage people to get involved in groups like this because people think, oh my gosh, we're the broken family were, you know, or my child's broken, or I'm the only one. And that in and of itself is a very crippling belief. And it's, and it's not true. It's actually not true. People are all behind closed doors saying, I've got this problem. Oh, gosh, I don't want anyone else to know about it. 
and then they think that they're the only ones and it's just not true so no absolutely I think all of what you're saying it makes a ton of sense I was um just on a panel earlier this week for uh an organization called Jack and Jill and it was their national convention and I had um three different mothers who uh you know, the topic was the funny, the frank, and the frightening journey of raising boys. And so we, you know, kept it light uh, and, you know, but yet at the same time really talked about what you're saying and the whole notion of really acknowledging the, the situation and um, being open yeah. about it, I think is so important. Acknowledging the pain, acknowledging something's not right, and then sharing it because it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be ashamed of if, if a child has a mental illness or if we're working through an addiction issue, it is a physical illness. Those are physical illnesses. And so just as if a child had cancer or um, another horrible physical disease or illness, we would rally behind the parent and pray and support and, and be open about it. And so what I'm hopeful of for the Sunrise Project and for everybody that's here, as well as our own family, you know, being able to share and talk about it and say, we're really struggling through X, Y, Z. You know, others often can say, oh, I, I was doing that as well, and here's what I learned. Um, and so I, I just want to acknowledge that I think it's important for people to open up, to share, to acknowledge the situation, to start, you know, advocating for our children, and then to find the help we need ourselves um and so that's the biggest i think one of the biggest challenges is pausing to focus on ourselves and our own families and, and i think something you said early on in this call today was we often give so much attention to the challenge and the particular child that is going through this situation that our other children you know um are having their own challenges in their own space. And I really, it, it, I heard you say, looking for different things like maybe it's exercise. So, you know, our youngest is pouring himself into running and skateboarding and, you know, a thousand crunches a day and 500 pull-ups and just, you know, very much pouring himself into that. And I'm, I'm now thinking and realizing that that's part of his coping mechanism. And so would love to just ask, my question would be, if you see a sibling pouring themselves into some a, a new behavior that is really extreme, you know, are there ways yep. to add, you know, how do you get the family involved? Are there some tips? Is it, do you just say, okay, I'm gonna try to go run with them? Like, what, what are some tips you can share? And then I wanna open it up for sure to our callers. So are there tips yeah. around the sibling in terms of, you know, an, almost like an OCD with certain behaviors? That's what I'm yep. saying. Mm -hmm. Well, that's also normal, first of all. It's normal. And it is a sign that there's something going on, right? Because uh, we can give labels to it. Sure, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, when it's compulsive, it's just a sign that our system is having a hard time coping with something, right? It's, it's trying to distract us from something that's super painful. So let me just tell you what's normal and then share what you might want to do with it. Okay. So, and, let, and let's just say this too, because I think the baby in the bathwater thing is relevant here. Um, you know, of course I happen to know your son and he is a 
fantastic, like bound for the Olympics level swimmer. And so I'm sure he's also getting a positive feedback loop from the fact that he has, um, you know, made these, these requirements for himself, a thousand crunches a day, 500 pull-ups a day, you know, these types of things that are above and beyond kind of extreme with athleticism. And he's going to get physical dividends from those, right, in terms of his times or in terms of his performance in the water. But what it's saying emotionally is that there's some stuff that he's having a hard time with. Right. And that this is given comfort to because it's at an extreme level in it. And you're seeing it as his mom as maybe compulsive in nature. Right. So part of it is actually giving words to and or normalizing what you think might be going on without telling him it's going on so that he can take it or leave it or he can just try it on without feeling like he's been told being told what's happening to him. So I might say something like, hey. I noticed you're working out all the time and I know it's paying off in the pool, but you know, and, and, and let me just say behind the words, you're basically trying to say, I see you, I care about you and there's room for you to be human in our family. So you say something like, but you know, look, um, I know what's going on with your brother's been super difficult for all of us. And, you know, I'm, here's, you know, one of the things that I want to say to you, you know, if you're worried about being difficult for me or for dad, like we've got room for you just because we're pouring, you know, our energy and resources right now into some of the troubles your brother's having doesn't mean that you have to be perfect or that you have to perform in a certain way. Like, and you know, if you want to talk about it or if you want to share anything that's going on with you, what I've heard from, and you can make it distant now by not talking about him. What I've heard from other people is oftentimes siblings are really worried, like that their parents won't be around for them or that their parents are going to not be able to handle, like they're already overtapped with one, with their sibling. And so they're not going to be there for them or, you know, that they um, are worried that, if they actually express anger or fear or hurt or jealousy that there's not going to be room for them. And so, you know, and you, you don't say it's about him. You just say, Hey, this is this article I read, or this is what I heard, you know, whatever, whatever. And I just want you to know that I've got the bandwidth to hear what's happening for you. And I want to hear from you whenever, and then leave it doesn't have to respond, you know, can respond if he wants to, but he's got it in his mind and he's, playing it over and over in his mind and might feel more comfortable or might, you know, cause words are one thing and then behavior is another. So even it's seeing in your behavior that you're attuned to him or that you might want to know or that there's room for whatever else might be going on for him would be super valuable. Compulsive behaviors is hard because it's automatic. Um, even the person who's experiencing it isn't necessarily conscious of the behavior. Typically when people are motivated to change something related to OCD is when it's getting in the way of other stuff. So even though compulsive exercising might sound positive, it might mean that a person is not able to focus on other areas or isn't able to relax or their nervous system is on high alert. And so they have other symptoms like headaches or pains in their body or 
things that are more related to the fact that they're not able to downshift their nervous system. They're not able to relax. So usually people get motivated when they're having reactions to the OCD that are not positive. It's very treatable, by the way. Um, I've had great success with a number of people. Um, what I've found to be most helpful is actually some of the approaches that are, that are taught through cognitive behavioral work that are very effective. But the person has to be wanting to change. And what I hear you saying is that you're witnessing as a mom, hey, this is what's happening in my child and what can I do with that? Or what might I do to help kind of combat it a little bit? Right. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Anyone would like to ask a question? Hi. I just wanted to really express my gratitude for this discussion and the other callers who've come in because it, um, it's almost jaw-dropping to hear you describe what's going on in my home and with my grown children and the younger siblings and just the complexity of having um, the one that's going through the most mental health challenges just kind of, you know, always bringing such an intensity that makes it so difficult for others to engage. And I feel blessed because siblings and cousins are noticing and starting to say, you know, dude, you're really getting intense. But just having this information here, I shared this with some of them. Hopefully they will um, get into the Viva uh, project in the resilient brain I've been looking up while you have been on. It's just so, I'm so grateful and appreciative because I can't even imagine to the degree that other people are experiencing exactly what I'm experiencing. So when you say, I get it, or how to navigate the sibling relationships and how as a parent to navigate the, child, the children that you love so much, but it's their journey and owning how you got there and the generational stuff has just been jaw-dropping. So thank you so much. I'm so glad you're very welcome and it's real, you know, and don't underestimate the power of reframing your experience and having words and vocabulary to be able to speak to it, even for the child who's holding the most of it, even being able to say, hey, I just heard something today. If you take nothing else away, I would love for you to hold the chances are that if you have a child who's really holding the most mental health struggles, probably that person is a super big hearted, very empathic, super sensitive person. And to even be able to say to them, hey, I realize you've been speaking a lot for our family. Like you're actually holding some information that may not be yours to hold, right? And that, and that that's because you were born with this big loving heart and that you're super sensitive and empathic. And I want to work on our family taking some of that off your shoulders. You know, this is just, this is not yours alone. Right. And, you know, when I speak more directly to my piece in that, I can give you a little relief from your burden. I really appreciate that. It's just unlearning so many things and learning the new skills and language in order to really address it and stop some generational trauma. And so thank you. We have time for one last question before we have to wrap. If there's one last person that would like to say something or share. Hi, good, good morning. I was a part of the panel that you hosted for the Jack and Joe 
uh, National Convention, and it was amazing. I just want to tell you, um, my friends and I, we were so engaged. I have been down this road with my son, who's 16, for the past three years, and um, it's been a struggle. And just hearing the conversation outright and hearing other people, and it was just so heartfelt for me. Um, I'm also a social worker, and I deal with people every day. So, you know, having to deal with, you know, helping my son and making sure he gets the resources he needs and going to work every day and dealing with other people and assisting other people is just a challenge. Um, yes. But it, it was it was great to bring the, the uh, conversation out, and it really affected a lot of people. So I just want to thank you for that. And um, I'm here. <laughs> I signed right up, you know, when you were um, while we were on the forum. Um, I appreciate the conversation, and I, I will, you know, I'll be back. So you have great resources, which I definitely would love to take advantage of uh, for my son. Um, and I also just want to say about the family. Um, during COVID, it was, it was, it was, it was good to be home because my um, I was college age where she was getting her master's degree. She came home, and my son had one of his anxiety attacks, and we were all here to witness it. And before that, it was just me dealing with it. Mm. And my ex-husband was, you know, he was someplace else, and he really wasn't getting it. And everyone was home and saw it and experienced it. And it was been helpful. It's been helpful for me because now everyone gets it, and there are more people invested in helping him, you know, get the help that he needs. But they also were like, wow, we didn't get it. We didn't see it. We didn't know. So one good thing about COVID was that, you know, while unfortunately my son had a very diff- had a very difficult time um, being displaced, you know, being not at school, he's very sociable, very involved with his sports. Um, and when everything shut down, he really had a difficult time adjusting. And so, um, but it did give the rest of the family a view of what he's been going through. So, and so that was kind of helpful. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate the feedback and grateful you're here, uh, as well as all of the callers that are here today. Really appreciate all of you. Um, it does take a village, and uh, that's the whole purpose of these calls. So happy to have you here and uh, um, really appreciate it. So just want to say thank you so much to my dear friend, Dr. Julie Lopez, for sharing with us your incredible wisdom and your tips as we work on building our families um, and learn to reframe our thinking. Thank you again, Dr. Julie, for being here and for always jumping in whenever I call. I can't thank you enough. <laughs> You're so you. welcome. It's an honor. Honor. Appreciate you. So I'll close out with a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us and for loving our families and all of our children beyond our capacity. When we can't see what's happening in our children's lives, we can rejoice because we know you hold them in your hands. Father, please forgive us for falling into cycles of blame, remorse, regret, control, sadness, and sometimes even anger. Help us reframe our paradigm and our thinking, just as Dr. Lopez spoke this morning about mental health and about addiction, and help us learn to love all of our children unconditionally. Forgive us for sometimes putting too much pressure on ourselves as parents or for any stray paths that we may have led our children down. Forgive us for wanting to shelter and bubble our precious babies. 
Father, we pray specifically for our child's and our children's physical health, mental health, safety, shelter, and dependence on you. Bless us with the release grip on control. Send your spirit to strengthen us to surrender worry and control. Amen. Thank you, everyone. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.